All right, welcome, Iditarod Nation. I am your host today, Kristen Bogan, Digital Communications Manager at the Iditarod, and we're talking with Fabio Berlusconi. Did I pronounce your name right? That was just about perfect. Okay, great. I should have checked <laughs> before, but I didn't, so I'm glad I did that correctly. So Fabio is a 2020 Iditarod rookie musher, finishing musher uh, from Italy, and you finished 30th, and you're also a part of the famed now Alim 11, um, and you had been stranded in Alaska for a bit because of the COVID situation, so we'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, but then you were able to get home due to like a uh, coming together of friends and family and fans who helped you out. Uh, and so we'll talk about that too. But really, where do we start? Because so much has happened. Maybe let's start with how you got into the mushing. How, let's start from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's an easy question. Uh, it all started in um, 2011, basically. Um, that's when I uh, decided to um, move up to uh, Sweden, to Northern Europe. And um, I found a job in Mats Pettersson's kennel. Mats is uh, an editor musher. He has done six editors, uh, and uh, that was the beginning of it. So I um, I moved up there in 2011, just trying to see how it would feel to have to spend one season working with dogs. And uh, since then, I was never able to stop. So I've been working for Mats for seven years. And uh, in 2014, he did his first editor, and since then, he's done six in a row. And um, that's how I started thinking about doing editor. So in 2018, I decided to leave Sweden and um, spend my winters in Alaska instead, trying to qualify and uh, eventually finish editor, which luckily had, it, it happened this year. So that's the long story short, basically. So when you start working with dogs, what, what do you start doing? For those who don't really know. Well, I, I remember, I think I it was an evening flight. So I think I landed around 10.30 p.m. or something. And Mats picked me up at the airport. So I just went to the kennel. He showed me my room and he just told me, be ready tomorrow at 7. And uh, and that's actually what happened. So 7 o'clock in the morning, there was this uh, other uh, handler that was there. And just started, he was started showing me how to feed the dogs and scoop the poop. So that was the big the first big task of the day. So for the first couple of days, that was it. But the great thing about Mats is actually that he really likes people to learn by doing. You know, every master has got different ways, but with Mats, it was great because of that, because after just a few days, you know, he just put me on a sled and he just told me, okay, just follow the others and learn by, you know, just being on the sled. You know, you can try to teach someone, you know, a hundred times and tell them everything you want, but unless you're on the sled, you know, it's it's kind of hard to learn. So I really love being with Mats the first few uh, first few days because of that. He just really wanted me to try out things and learn by doing. So that was great. How did you connect with Matt then? Well Do you, you you just kinda got you saw a dog race or you you well, to be you honest, found him somehow. I knew nothing about sled dogs before going to Sweden, so um, I fell in love with uh, with uh, with Lapland in 2010 because I, I took a cycling trip across Lapland, and I just I just liked it there. I was like, wow, I would like to try living here, see how it feels. 
So the next year, I just applied for all kinds of outdoor jobs, you know, starting from, you know, snowmobiling, even if I had never seen a snow machine in my life, uh, dog sled, you know, all kinds of outdoor jobs. And uh, and at first, I didn't even apply for jobs um, uh, with dogs because I had zero experience and I thought it was something, you know, just out of my league. But then it's like, oh, why not? I mean, that sounds too 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 much fun. So I uh, I wrote Mats, and it's like, yeah, well, if you're interested, I kind of you know need you. So why don't you take a plane? And uh, and that's how it worked. But I had no idea about racing, about sled dogs, about uh, I did wrote nothing at all. So Renan, really, it's just a great adventure. Oh, absolutely. I just um, I, I was very lucky, but you know, I just decided to jump in and see how it feels and uh, and it that's how it turned out and uh yep now it's been nine years so i'm kind of happy it was um it was a good decision to just you know do things how they uh, just how i felt and you can't say no to dogs really they're so darn cute oh my god yeah but that, that's the problem i mean like how how can you stop you know once you start and once you get the feeling of being on the sled and uh and spending the night with them and taking them inside your cabin and start to develop that feeling i mean what's once you get used to this kind of lifestyle especially if you come from such a different environment like i mean i, I came all the way from italy we do have mountains and everything but that's just it's just a lifestyle you know that really you either love it or hate it so if you fall in love with the lifestyle and the dogs and, uh, and and the whole thing, you know it's it's hard to leave. You know, I, I it's 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 hard. <laughs> There's no other words. Yeah, I mean, I guess the lifestyle is quite different. You're in a a big city, I'm assuming. When you're not mushing, um, when you're doing the training, do you go to the country or what's that difference like? Well, you know, um. um over here in Italy, I've always been living in the countryside. So, and again, I'm very close to the mountains. So, you know, I'm kind of used to snow. We all we always get snow over here. But again, I had no experience with that. And then, um, what I really loved about going over there was just the freedom and just having nature just outside your door. And I mean, we could go from Russia just you know by 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 trail, just leaving from the yard in Sweden, and that 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 was the best feeling. And then. Uh, um, I started just with the winter and then I found a job as a fishing guide over there for the summer. So I, uh, for, for seven years straight, I've been living in Sweden. And uh, so that became my, uh, my home. And, uh, and that's the other thing. Fishing is my other great passion. So I've always been, uh, you know, in love with fishing and uh, I've been fishing in Italy. But of course, fishing over there is quite different. So that was Another big magnet that really dragged me to uh, to Sweden and to that lifestyle and to uh, and to the north, basically. So, just coming over to Alaska was really like a really good pairing. All of what you were talking about: fishing, outdoors, snow, sled dogs. Well, Alaska was really the kind of the next step, right? Yep, it was indeed. And uh, first time I was in Alaska was in 2015. And I was like, wow, this is. It, it's it's larger, you know. It's it's just like Sweden. It's as cool, but it's just it's wilder. It's it's just amazing. It's huge. But the the only downside is that uh, since I'm always traveling with uh, with tourist visas, uh, I'm only allowed in the country for six months, and then I have to leave for six months. So I've been I've been in Alaska for um, four times, 
and I never had the chance of being there in the summer because every time I'm there in the winter and then I have to leave in the summer. So I never got to experience all the good fishing and everything. And that's, uh, that's kind of a bummer. So that's, um, I need to fix that soon somehow. Oh, wow. So yes, you definitely need to come over for the summertime. It's a totally different experience, I guess. <laughs> do you have plans? I mean, how do you, if you're over here, you know, training, and you're working over here in a kennel as well in the wintertime in, in Alaska? Well, no, uh, that, that's the thing. I only have a tourist visa, so I'm not allowed to work there. So all the time. Oh, here, true, true. Okay. Running dogs and racing, you know, which I'm allowed to run dogs and race on my visa, but uh, I'm not allowed to make a single dime in Alaska. So that's uh, that's a bit annoying. And that's quite a huge impact on my budget, as you, you know, <laughs> as you might guess. Yeah, for sure. So let's um, fast forward to you qualifying for the idea uh -huh. ride. What races did you do? Uh, I've done the Willow 300 in 2018. And then last year, um, I ran the Goose Bay 150 and the Kobach 440 with uh, yours, yours dogs. I was working at the, I was running yours dogs last year. Um, and the funny thing is that uh, in 2018, I was I was in Alaska with Matsu's dogs. We were staying at Linwood's place, and uh, we were just doing the, the Willow 300 as a training race for Editor for the dogs. And I just said, oh, I might as well just do it as a qualifier. But I had no idea that I wanted to do it in Editor when I, when I did my first qualifier. And then after being there that winter, then I started. I was like, oh, I like it. I am, I might give it a shot, you know. And, uh, and luckily, because uh, so I had one in my pockets already. And then uh, then last year, yeah, I wrote your an email. I was like, hey, um, do you need any anyone to, you know, help you with the dogs and run some races? I'm like, yeah, it will be, will be nice. So we had this uh, this deal, and I was I spent the whole winter over there, and I ran my other two qualifiers, so the Goose Bay and the and the Kobach. Yeah, they were pretty amazing, both of them. This probably takes some major planning going back and forth uh, between Italy and here and, and training. and But all the dogs are, are here. You are using dogs from kennels in Alaska, correct? You're not flying dogs over from Italy? No, correct. I'm, I'm, uh, I've always been running. First, I was running Matsu's dogs and then yours dogs. And this year, I did the editorial with... Um, with Linwood's dog, so I, um, it's it's way easier because with Mats, you know the the annoying thing is that every year we had to bring dogs uh, back and forth, and of course I've been helping him when I was going back and forth bringing dogs, and it's uh, it's quite a logistic effort, and uh, it's also quite expensive. So I'm I'm happy I don't have to deal with that at least. How does that work? I know a lot of people don't real realize how logistically difficult it is for, to bring dogs here some people are just traveling from the lower 48 yep. um but how does that work from another continent well, I guess? basically um no airline company or most airline companies they don't allow more than four dogs on on a plane so if you want to bring 14 or 16 dogs, you need to fly four times or you need to fly uh, three, four people on four different flights. So you cannot just fly all the dogs at once. So you either have to go back and forth 
or you have to uh, you know fly two three different days and uh, have some friends coming over and help you out. So that's uh, that's quite a challenge. And uh, of course, you need to have all your papers. You know, they need uh, a health certificate uh, before they travel that they are you know in good shape and that they are you know fit enough to travel. And uh, then, of course, when you go through the customs, you have to uh, take them out. It's it's nice because they they let you take them out to the airport and take them for a little pee outside. But uh, yeah, it's quite it's quite an effort, and it's again it's also quite expensive. So going back and forth is is always a big challenge. And what what about the gear? Do you then ship all your gear to you know whatever end location, or is that also being packed on the tr- on the the plane and and flown with oh, you. Last year, I actually left uh, most of my stuff in Alaska because I knew I was gonna come back. So I, I had some good friends that uh, that held on to my stuff. And uh, but this year, since you know, with uh, it's very hard to make plans right now. So I uh, I flew everything back. So I uh, I was traveling with about two hundred pounds of gear. So. <laughs> I brought everything back, you know, and all, all the stuff is also pretty bulky. So that that's the problem, you know, it's uh, sometimes uh, a small 50 pound bags, you know, it's, uh, it, it's kind of hard to fit everything in there. And then I still left a lot of stuff in Alaska, like uh, my axe and uh, a whole, a whole bunch of stuff because it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it's there, you know, for when I come back, but again, we'll, we'll see what, how it works with the plans, but yeah, it's uh I remember flying with a maybe a seventy pounds or eighty pounds bag when I was traveling with Matsy's dogs. We had the snow hooks and all the lines and everything. It's uh yeah, it's quite heavy to carry around on airport. I do remember that. Yeah, that I mean, just traveling just yourself with your, your luggage or whatever, and especially to another country that sounds like a nightmare to me <laughs> now. <laughs> No, I mean it's um it's it's all right, you know. It's um <laughs> I, I I got used to it, so yeah. I know. And I always tell myself, you know, I haven't really taken a big uh, vacation in a long time. I've been saving all my money for Iditarod, but what I've been telling myself is, next time I travel, next time I go on a vacation, I'm gonna travel with a tank top, swim shorts, flip flops, and my credit card. That's everything. And that's it. I don't want to have anything with me so <laughs> we'll see how that works yeah um well let's talk a little bit about the race itself how did you feel uh starting so you know your first iditarod and this year in willow at the restart it was crazy snowing i think we're calling it snow po- uh cop snow apocalypse yep. uh, restart Snowmageddon. Um, although the the ceremonial start was nice, it seemed like it was perfect weather. Though how how did you uh, feel those days? Well, the ceremonial start was was great fun, and again, I was very happy that we had enough snow. You know, compared to a few years back when uh, I remember a lot of slush and just uh, just a couple of uh, inches of very wet snow. So I'm. Uh, I was very happy, and again, it's a lot of fun. My uh, my Adita rider was the sweetest person in the world, and I hope she's listening. Her and her husband, I hope they're listening. They're amazing people, so we had a great fun. And uh, 
the Saturday it's all about enjoying, you know, there's so many people laughing, you know, everybody's smiling at you. So it's a, it's a great atmosphere. So it's absolutely amazing. And uh, if people haven't been there, they really should, because it's a, it's just a big party, basically. The, the Sunday though, the restart, then it was a little different because then, of course, it's a lot of uh, tension, a lot of stress, you know, a lot of almost fear. Like, you know, do I have everything ready? Am I ready? Like, you know, you have everything ready. And, you know, and you're prepared because I would have never even thought about starting if I didn't know that my dogs could make it and that I could make it. But uh, there's so much going on in your head and it's a, you're just in a bubble. Everybody's saying that, but it is so true. Uh, You're just in a bubble and it's hard to focus. You know, you, you can't even look at the dogs. You know, there's so much in your head. You cannot focus. And a lot of people told me, oh, the, the moment you leave the the starting line, everything is going to feel way better. And some other people told me, oh, it's going to take a few hours, then you will relax. It took longer than that. I think until like uh, finger leg, I was still in this bubble, you know, so much, you know, going on around me. And, uh, and of course, you know, you've been working so hard for everything and you're so worried and stressed. After finger leg, then I think I really went down and started like you know relaxing and <laughs> and getting into the race mode. But uh, yeah, it took quite a while. And of course, all the snow that it made things slower. Let's say slower, a little bit harder. But at least you know, at least it was keeping us at a slow pace. You know, it's you know I, I I'm a rookie and I know a lot of rookies they just get caught up in the speed thing and they just you know don't even hit the brake but so i was very happy that the snow helped me a lot with uh keeping it down and keeping quiet and relaxed so are there any um really good memorable times on the trail did you i mean it sounds like it took you a little while to relax and kind of take everything in and just do the machine yeah. <laughs> right yeah no, there sure were some amazing moments i think uh what i enjoyed the most is uh going over the alaska range um we left uh, uh rainy pass and uh it was evening and uh we had full moon so we started climbing up the pass and with this amazing full moon and all the mountains around it was just absolutely awesome and then it started blowing. I mean, the, the wind was hard. It was it was blowing, and you know we just couldn't even see the trail, couldn't even see the dogs. But the dogs were just on fire. I mean, I remember just you know standing on my drag mat all the way up the pass. You know, even in this windstorm with the wind just slapping your face, and the dogs were just on fire. And I was so excited, and so were they. You know, it was just an amazing feeling. And then we went down the gorge, and of course. I've been hearing about the gorge for years and years, and so there was a lot of excitement and anticipation about that. So coming down and finally getting out of the gorge, that was another amazing feeling. So I think that has been probably the uh, the, the the best part for me, the part I enjoyed the most. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, one of the highlights of my life, I can tell you that. So how are you um, mushing at night? You got headlamps. You have lighted things on the sled and the dogs how does that work i i see you know pictures obviously um of you guys mushing in that night but can you see anything well, unless it's very windy and stormy then you can see quite well you know of course we all have headlamps and uh 
we all have a lot of batteries, you know, that's, that's a big part. That's a big chunk of your editor budget. You know, uh, a lot of people have different headlamps. Of course, somebody have just huge batteries that you need to recharge and everything. But I, uh, uh, with my headlamp, I, I sent out batteries to every checkpoint and lithium batteries, they're quite expensive. So I think I sent out almost, uh, 100 batteries. So that's, it's a good couple of hundred dollars just for my, just for the batteries. But, uh, it's very important. You know, I, I want to be able to see, you know, so I always, most of the times I run my, uh, headlamp on, um, on, uh, on full power because I want to be able to see, I want to be able to pick up anything on the dogs. You know, if the dog is limping or if there's any problem or if I need to see a trail marker far ahead, if I don't see anything. So I always run it, uh, on, on, uh, on full power. So of course, uh, I, I go through a lot of batteries when when I'm racing, but uh, but it's it's okay. I'm I'm willing to spend that, but because it's a, it's just so important for me to see. But the most amazing thing is like when you have the full moon. Sometimes you just turn your headlamp off if you're just cruising and you you're not in a gnarly you know uh, trail or in the woods. If you're just going down a river or on the lake, so often you know I just turn off my headlamp and you can just see everything, you know, you can see the shadow of the dogs from the full moon on the, on the white snow and everything around it is so amazing. And the same thing with the Northern lights, you know, it's a, I think most of the mushers, they can't resist, you know, we've seen the Northern lights hundreds of times, but still when you, when you see a good one, you still turn off your headlamp for a, for a, for a few seconds or for a few minutes and just enjoy the show. It's a, it's hard not to do it. So were the Northern Lights out then? I think I saw a photo, one of our Iditarod photographers this year with the lights out. Yeah, I think Did you uh, I think it? we saw them uh, when I left Caltech. So I think it was between Caltech and Unilaclete. Uh, I think that was uh, the, the, the biggest display of Northern Lights we saw this year. So, yeah, I think we had in one night. I can't remember if there was. I mean, it's been snowing most of the night, so it would have been very hard to see, but at least we got to see them once. I just think it's amazing that you guys, all the mushers can uh, mush at night and the headlamps work. It seems like you can see the trail, and uh, and that is also due to our really great trail breakers, you know, marking the trail in advance and, and those guys getting out there uh breaking the trail it's, for you guys it's, it's amazing. amazing i mean i've seen some uh i remember at the rookie meeting they showed us their little uh, uh movie with everything they do building all the snow bridges and everything and the pictures that we have seen this year with people just standing in the snow uh like you know to their chest you know and wow i mean they they, they sure put a lot of effort into it and i can tell that all the mushers are very thankful and again the snow was very helpful this year, so uh, so they they had a lot a lot to do, but we got a better trail in some checks in some sections than, than than a few years ago. If you think about uh, again the Dalzell Gorge and everything, that made things a little bit easier for us rookies. So I was worried, but I was not as worried. You know, if you look at the videos from 2014 and this year, it's a, there's quite a big difference. So uh, I was glad that we had a lot of snow over there at least. Yeah, I think we were all thinking about that if there was going to be enough snow and then we got hit with snow yeah. <laughs> for weeks. At, yes, everywhere here. So uh, we were happy about that. But I'm wondering if some of the veterans have to 
adjust or maybe they're just like yay we have snow this year we can do what we usually yeah. do on the, the other thing is that you know uh, it's hard to guess like you know when you're sending out stuff to you in your uh, drop bags that's about three weeks before the start of the race so we're talking about four or maybe five weeks before the end of the race and you have to send out some uh, plastics to the checkpoints you know because you know you have different plastics for different conditions of snow so you kind of have to try and guess how the trail is going to be like. You know, if it's going to be cold, you need some kind of plastic. If there's going to be a lot of snow, you need a different plastic. So it's a, that's a big gamble, basically. You know, of course, so, some of the big mushers that send out a lot of plastic, plastics for every checkpoint, you know, I, I think more, most of the rookies just like me, we run more on the budget. So we send out just a few and it's, uh, yeah, you just try and guess how things are going to be and, uh, you just hope for the best. Well, the weather was kind of all over the place. I mean, it, I guess it could be that way every year, but you had 30 below weather, you had snow and oh, water. Yeah. It was kind of and wind. So, I mean, I guess it was all over the place. What was your perspective oh, we, on that? We have seen it all. Again, we started out with two feet of fresh snow and still dumping. You know, it was dumping for the first day of the race. And then uh, on the way to Nikolai, uh, between Ron and Nikolai, it dropped like it was cold. I remember I was camping with uh, um, with Gabe Dunham and Monica Zappa just next to me, and I we we kept I had a small thermometer on my sled, and it kept dropping and dropping and dropping, and it went to fifty below, and even lower than that. I, I I'm not saying it's accurate, so I, I I'm not saying it went below fifty below, but a good a good forty five probably. So that was uh, that was a cold night. So we just we just made a fire, and we uh, it was too bad we didn't have any marshmallows with us. But it was a it was a fun moment, you know. Those that's one of the moments that you one of the things that you remember then. And uh, the funny thing is that as soon as we took off, uh, we just went a little bit uphill, and the temperatures went up by the 10, 10, 20 degrees. But I think when we got to Nikolai, they told us it was still 38 below. So that, that was a cold run. It was a, around 35, 40 below that night. So we, have, we got it all. And then, and then again, then it, we've had a lot of warm weather and a lot of uh, very wet snow and freezing rain. Uh, when we were in, in Ruby on the river and then, uh, of course, on the coast, you know, with all the water that got you know, blown in by the, by the wind. And, uh, yep, we, we have seen it all. And, uh, and the snow didn't really let us go until the last little bit, you know, we were still in a wide out two miles out of Nome. So yep, it's, it's been quite a challenging year with the weather. Well, let's talk about, um, the end here in Elim, you got kind of with ah. this group of mushers, uh, in Elim, the, the ice water, you know, the water was flowing over and the trail gets moved, of course, and and redone basically on an old, um, I think it was the yeah, old correct. mail trail. Um, so what's going through your mind? Do you get to Elim? Do you get notified? Hey, the trails, you know, overflow. We, we got we to gotta do some things. How do they well, let you it, know? It, actually it all, it all started even before that when we were in uh, uh in Koyak uh me uh Grayson and Damon uh two fellow mushers we uh 
we, we knew this big storm was coming and it was starting to blow. So we, we just said, okay, let's all leave together. I think we, were, we wanted to leave around 3.30 in the morning. So we went out, we booted all the dogs and but then it was blowing so we just said okay let, let's let's just check one more time and i'm very happy that we did that because we went in and uh, monica zappa was just getting into the checkpoint so uh uh the checkpoint manager and uh they they gave a call to uh to to elam to to have some trail reports and monica just told us well guys if i were you i would not leave now because it was foggy and windy and there were like you know four feet high uh, drifts, so it's just like probably not a good idea to leave right now. And I was kind of worrying because you know, like, okay, if we're gonna be you know stuck here for two days, what's gonna happen with us? So, but uh, then again, Mark Norman had a, this amazing idea of sending the the trail breakers in front of us. So we left uh, after twelve hours. I think it was around two in the afternoon. So the trail breakers went ahead of us and just you know broke trail to Elam. And it was blowing. I mean, that was it was quite a tough run. We had a, a lot of snow and um, and a lot of wind. So, uh, but we made it. So that was kind of nice. And the biggest surprise was getting into Elam, and everybody was there. So I was like, okay, hasn't anyone left? And I was like, no, nope, nobody has left for like twenty four hours now. So I was like, oh, okay. So that was the that was the first big shock. And then, yeah, we tried to, uh, to find a way. And uh, again, Mark Norman and all the checkpoint uh, managers, all the checkers, they were just so nice and they tried to arrange everything for us. So we decided to try and leave at 8 a.m. And, uh, and so we did. So we, there were two local uh, guides that uh, broke trail on this old mail trail that, of course, nobody had been there for, for quite some time. So... It was very brushy and uh, very soft snow. Nobody had been there. So we just made it a few miles out of town. And then uh, the trail breakers uh, were gone. And uh, the trail sweeps that were behind them and in front of the mushers, they couldn't see their tracks. You know, we got out of the above the tree line and it was just blowing and nobody could see anything. So the trail sweeps tr tried to look for uh, some some tracks or something they couldn't find anything so we just had to turn around there was quite a quite a moment also over there but uh for me you know i felt quite confident because uh we were very lucky that martin boozer was with us you know he's he's done this thing 37 times now and he has never scratched and uh, he was also running a, a young uh team just like i was doing so you know, of course, you know, turning around and going back into the checkpoint, you know, if you talk to many mushers, they tell you it's something that, you know, you should not do and it's not good for dogs. What I told myself is if Martin Boozer thinks that this is the best idea, well, I'm going to follow him. And uh, so that that was quite relaxing, you know, and, uh, and made us feel you know, a little bit more confident. So we went back into the checkpoint and uh, and then we decided to try and leave again. The next day at 5 a.m. and that's what we did and again it was quite tough you know it worked way better because we didn't lose track of the trail breakers but uh, it was very hard you know we, there was no markers because of course we were just breaking trail and I was just a couple of minutes behind uh, the musher in front of me and in many spots I lost the trail you know I could you know with the wind you know one minute is enough to you know just you know clear out any tracks on the trail so I could not see anything 
and I had to jihad the dogs around and then maybe try to see someone that was looking back with a headlamp on top there and try to guide them. And, uh, and and we did. So it was quite tough, but it was quite nice. You know, we were all together and uh, that was our, our only chance. You know, Martin was very good at that. He, he said, if we have a chance, it's just sticking together. Let's, let's, let's do this together. And then when we got finally down on Golovin Bay, then uh, the sky cleared up and everything felt way better. But yeah, it was, it was an interesting couple of days in Elam. I can, I can tell you that. Well, it sounds kind of scary, <laughs> but also really great how um, all of you guys, you know, planned and stuck together and made sure everybody was going to make it to Nome. But I do have to tell you, um, I don't know if you follow the uh, Inside Diderot Insider. We have, you know, a group of fans that follow online with the tracking device we have on our website. Um but they follow you guys so closely. Anytime one musher is stopped for longer than they think they should be stopped, they're contacting us. They're on Facebook contacting me. Hey, what's up with, you know, Fabio? He's turning around or he's stopped for too long. They let us know. So you can imagine how crazy everybody oh was going watching you guys. Well, I, again, I, I don't... I know exactly how that feels because that's been me for the past seven years. Since 2014, I've been involved with Editron and I was like, you know, uh, working for some mushers doing the Editron. So that was me being home 24-7 and looking at the tracker. Oh, my God, he's stopping. I never actually got to call and then and, and check on them, but I I, I know the feeling. And uh, <laughs> so I, I, I totally get what, what those people were feeling. So that, and uh, it, it was quite amazing. And and also after the race, you know, so many people have you know texted us and on Facebook and all the social media, like, oh, I'm glad you made it, and uh, it's uh, it's been quite amazing to know that we had all the all the support of, uh, of those people. And uh, but talking about also ourselves and the, and the feeling, I can tell you that you know, of course, you know, we were all a little bit worried, a little bit bummed, but the, the mood was quite high actually. You know, there was nobody that was grumpy or angry or anything. We we just went with the flow and made the best out of it. And, uh, and also the, the, the people in, in Italy were amazing. You know, the, when we came back, you know, some of the villagers came there and asking, Oh, do you guys have enough food? Would you like us to, uh, to cook a nice stew for you? And that's what they did. So also the veterinarians, they started cooking for us. So everybody has been taking such good care of us and, uh, and caring about us. So it's, it's been, it's been absolutely amazing. I, I'm, I'm speechless. Well, we, we do have some very dedicated fans, and that is one of the things that came up was, do you have enough food for yourself and the dogs? And they just think of everything. So so we just have to 24-7 wield the questions of, do they have food? You know, how are they going to get there? <laughs> are they, you know, safe? And, and not just the Ilium 11 with anybody, any musher on the trail who has know maybe stop for a little too long and they're just on there 24 7 it's an interesting uh way to watch the iditarod it's very um yeah it, it's it's just like a nail biter you know you're yeah. you're glued to it they really are 
Yeah, I know exactly how it is, and I, I, I totally get it. And and I can tell you that we, we all feel it, you know. And the, the mushers know. And uh, like you come to the checkpoints, like in uh, in Unilclid, I had somebody that had bought me a pizza, and they bought everybody a pizza, you know. So and you get a musher gram, so you get some messages from these people that you, you of course never heard somebody in the lower forty eight or anywhere in the world, and they're just writing you a message, just just a little encouragement, like you know, hey, I think you're doing great. Uh, like, you know, hold on, you can do this. It's, uh, it feels great. You know, you know, on the mushers, you're, of course, you always see a lot of nice people, but it's, uh, you, you don't really get any messages from the outside world apart from this musher grant. So it, uh, I can tell you that also those, they, they felt pretty good. You know, and whenever you get into the checkpoint and somebody hands you a little piece of paper with somebody that you don't know, say, Hey, I'm following you. You're doing great. You got this. It's, uh, I can tell you feels good. I'm glad you brought that up. There are so many little things about the Iditarod that not everybody knows about, like the musher gram, for example, and the pizza <laughs> delivery. I mean, who does that? You know, I mean, what other race or sport or whatever do you have? Somebody in across the entire globe ordering you a pizza in the middle yeah, of nowhere. That actually is amazing. I can tell you, it feels good. Of course, we all pack food, but you always eat this kind of food that you've been, you know, warming up in your little cooker, and it okay, it tastes good. But after two weeks, it get it, it, it's nice to eat a, a fresh cooked pizza. I can tell you that. So that that is pretty amazing. I bet. I I guess by the end of the two well week or whatever you know 13 days uh are you have you lost weight i mean you're working the whole time basically 24 7 you're you know eating a set amount of food except for you know when you get some special things um how do, i mean i can imagine you're you might be losing weight you're you're burning more than you're taking in maybe or do you plan well you know that? most mushers lose weight I, I i haven't really you know I, I don't know if i lost weight i think i lost a few pounds but not too bad but i know that some mushers easily uh lose 10 to 15 pounds you know on, on the race and uh and just like the dogs you know some of them can eat anything and some others i know of some mushers that can actually get quite picky so i uh you really have to send out uh stuff that you're you know that you're all, all, always gonna eat. You know, I I I send out a lot of candy, uh, a lot of amazing banana bread, and some other food that you know that even if you're tired, you know, you just have to keep eating and drinking. You know, that's very important too. So I send out a lot of food. I didn't want to go cheap on that. So I told myself, if I'm gonna be hungry on the race, it's only my fault because I send out so much stuff. And uh, Again, I didn't want to be to, to run that risk of you know being hungry. You know, I hate being hungry, and so I uh, I really sent out a lot of food and a lot of treats. You know, some chocolate, some uh, uh, little candy, all kinds of stuff. And again, it's very important. Sometimes you're tired and you're stressed, maybe the first few days, and you really don't feel like eating, but you gotta eat. That's what every experienced pushers will tell you. You gotta eat and you gotta drink. You know, you gotta force yourself to drink, especially, especially if it's cold and you're, you know, you're on the sled for a long, long time and, uh, there's no excuse. You just have to drink. Otherwise your brain starts to shut down and that's when you get the hallucinations and that's when you cannot think straight and that's when you lose focus and, uh, and get sleepy and everything. So there's no excuse to that. You gotta, 
eat and drink, you know, forget about any kind of diet, just eat whatever you feel like eating and uh, and drink a lot. Well, it sounds like we have almost a missed opportunity for some sponsors oh, yeah. <laughs> here for some teams as far as power bars, candy, anything that's high calorie, oh, carbohydrate. Yeah. I mean, where are the sponsors at? Because I actually heard a musher talk about eating um, honey, like uh -huh. little tubes of honey and uh, bee products to keep the energy up. I don't know if you do that, but I, I have heard other mushers have oh, done I'm that sure. in the past. But any real basic carbohydrates is what you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, again, it, it's everything. And of course, you, you cannot get a lot of, you know, fresh veggies. So you also want to send out something a little bit more healthy on the trail. But you sure need a lot of, if it's cold, you're going to need a lot of fat, you know, like, you know, a lot of cheese and uh, and all kinds of stuff. So again, you know, I don't think that you can, maybe there is some mushers who actually pay way more attention than I do. But of course, you know, I'm still a rookie. I, I don't really know what works best, you know. I just know, like, I know what I, I, I like to eat at home and what I always eat. So I tried to send out things that I knew I was going to eat, you know, regardless of if it was carbs or fat or protein or anything. I just I just wanted to send out stuff that I knew I, I would like to eat also, when, even when I'm tired. So that's uh, that, that's how I planned it. But again, I don't have nearly enough experience to know what's, what works better and I'm I'm not a nutritionist, so <laughs> I don't exactly know. But uh, I know you have to eat and drink a lot, and that's that's what I try to do. Well, you're you're learning. You have your first race under your belt. Uh, you finished. So, and I know we didn't have as many people at the finish line because of all the res flight restrictions. But I, I imagine there were. Um, town people of Nome out still. I was only there for a few days and then uh, basically half of the, well, most of the team that went to Nome left because of all the restrictions and, and we wanted to respect not having too many people in Nome. Um, but I imagine it was still a really great finish and experience and, and maybe people were still cheering people on after most of oh, the Oh, absolutely. Left. I mean, it was, and again, it's it's such an amazing feeling, and the good thing about uh, the Elam Eleven is that we all got to the finish line just within a few hours from each other. So we all tried to kind of be there and go see when everybody was coming in and try to support each other. And that, like you know, six of us went to see the the Red Lantern coming in. Of course, you know that's a, that's quite a special moment, and uh, I really wanted to be there. So that was it was also very good in that sense. But uh, it felt amazing to come to the finish line because. After the last couple of days, we really needed that feeling of, whoa, it's done. You know, it's a big relief. And uh, one moment I will remember is the the big siren that goes on just a few minutes before the musher is coming in. When I was maybe one mile out or wherever I was, and I, I heard that, and I was like, wow, that's it's getting real. So uh, it was amazing. And and again, I uh, I've, I've been to know before, and likely I've been for a couple of years in Alaska. So I got to know some amazing people and I got to see them at the finish line and uh, including my my amazing handler. Her name is Kaylin. She lives up in Fairbanks. So 
just those few important people and uh, and also the people, the volunteers from Iditaro that, that I got to know in the years past, just seeing them there, it was like, oh, wow, this time it's really for me. It's not for anybody else. So that, uh, that, that felt quite amazing, I can tell you. Well, you, you definitely described it, right? Everybody did you, not only you, did you need it and, and the people, you know, that finished the, the final MLM finished, but like the entire country needed it because we were really the only thing going on as far as, you know, good news almost. <laughs> uh, so we, everybody really enjoyed following the race a lot of people followed it who had never followed it before um it was really a a piece of good news that i think uh people needed at the time and you guys might not have really known exactly what was going on until you got fact you know through gnome to hear all the you know covid stuff all the restrictions and and all that uh but it was definitely followed in a different way than I think ever before. Well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I, I, I did realize that after because you know we we uh, we didn't know that basically the whole world has shut down in a way, and uh, and it, it still is like this again. You know, here in Italy, we're still in you know in lockdown until May eighteenth at least, and uh, I've done a couple of interviews with some you know local papers. And then when they found out about this, you know, thing that I had just done, I did, or they called me, I was like, oh, I'm so glad I finally have something good to talk about because everything is just about the virus these days and people dying and everything. So it's like, I couldn't wait to find a good story to talk about. So <laughs> I uh, I totally get that. And uh, yeah, no, when we were on trail, we we did get a little, some little bit of information here and there, just like... We knew that a couple of checkpoints were uh, canceled because of the virus. They didn't want us in the in the village, and some people just you know I remember some uh, some reporters asking me some questions in Takatna. I was like, oh, so how are things in Italy? I didn't know that the day before they had you know shut down the whole country. So I I didn't know, and in a way I didn't really want to know. I, I didn't really want to worry about it. So I uh, it, it was good in a way that we didn't know too much. But uh, when we were in Elam, I remember one of us had a smartphone, and we were so we 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 were getting some news here and there. But uh, again, I think it was good for us also not to know too much and not to worry too much about everything else that was going on. Yeah, it was very interesting. Um, I know we were scrambling and making sure we can fin could finish the race. You know, that was uh, a concern, but we did, you know, and, and really it came down to pretty much everybody was out on the trail and had been out on the trail for days, you know, already. So the risk was pretty low. We cut down uh, staff that that went out to the villages and to know the finish and, and had everybody, you know, please stay home. You know, it's um, at the moment, you know, we're kind of dealing with this now. So. Uh, but I do have to tell you when when you and the rest of the Elim Eleven were were leaving Elim and coming in, everybody. This is kind of what people had pictured in their mind: is a convoy, all you guys coming in at once and finishing at the same time. It was a very interesting thought, but <laughs> that's not exactly what happened. But 
everyone was really excited about, oh, these 11 mushers, these 11 teams are going to come in together uh, like a big force of uh, <laughs> nature or something. Um, it would have been a great uh, site, but that's, but of course you guys are leaving at different times and staggered and whatnot. Yeah, uh, but no. that would have been cool. Anyway. I, I didn't know that that was what people was hoping for, but again, I think it was, it was the best and it worked great to like stick together when things are tough, you know, you just have to help each other. And, and that's the best thing about mushers, you know, when, when you're in trouble, you know, everybody stops on the trail, no matter what, if anybody's stopping on the trail, maybe just for a short break, all the musher will stop and ask if everything is fine. Do you need anything? So that's a, uh, it's amazing. It's just, it's just a, the, the rule of the trail, you know, that's, that's just, that's the only thing to do. But, uh, but of course, you know, then once, you know, again, we got down on Golovin Bay and things were fine. Then it, everybody went, you know, it, it's still a race. We still had to honor the race in a way. So of course, you know, it's, we, we have to honor the race and respect the other musher. So we have to still, uh, give the best and see the race to the finish line. Oh, so I, I, I think it worked out just fine in that. It was a, a good way of respecting the race in a way. Oh, yeah. Everybody, I mean, we loved it. Everybody loved it. So so now you're done with the race and you go back to, where do you go? You go to Anchorage or... You're done. You get all the dogs, you know, back to your, you're using Linwood's, huh? you know, kennel. You get packed up. Then well, what happened? you know, actually the, the, <laughs> the funny thing is that the, the, the same day that I finished the race, I went to our host family just outside Nome and, uh, and I sat on the sofa and I pulled out my phone and I got an email right then that my flight to Italy was canceled. So I was like, okay, I think, I think I'm going to have to, <laughs> to, to deal with this. So after sleeping for a couple of days and, uh, uh, making my way back to Willow, that's, that's what I've been trying to figure out. So we've been, you know, running dogs just for the fun of it. You know, we were, again, we had a lot of snow this year and we had very good conditions even after the race. So we could run the dogs, uh, just for the fun of it and, uh, at least get to enjoy something. But then I had to figure out this thing. So I didn't have a flight back to, to Italy. So I didn't really know exactly what I was going to do. But, uh, I, uh, you know, my, my family back home was also helping me a lot. And they were talking to, uh, to the airline companies and talking to the, to the, to, to the border offices. And, um, so the two airports in my area was, were totally shut down, of course. So the only option was to, uh, uh, to fly into Switzerland because I live only, uh, 10, 15 minutes away from Switzerland. So the, the, the best bet was to find a flight to Switzerland and then take a train to the Italian border. Then, of course, the train wouldn't go across the border. So I would have to, uh, carry my bags and walk the border by, by foot. And that's actually what happened. But the problem was that, uh, I could not rebook my flight because number one, there were just no flights coming here. So my airline company wouldn't book anything. And, uh, so I had to purchase, uh, a new ticket. And then, of course, that was, it's, 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 it's quite a big deal out of a budget. You know, again, I haven't been working for the past couple of winters. So, uh, I was running on, <laughs> on a quite low budget. So my, my, my great friend and handler, Kaylin, she just decided to, uh, post my story on the, on the, uh, I did her, you know, fan pages and on Facebook and just like, Hey, Fabio, you know, he's in Alaska and he needs to go back home. So let, let's help him out. 
So people started donating money to my GoFundMe page, and, and it was amazing. I mean, within two days, I, I just made all the money that I needed to to fly back home, me and all my gear, and even some people in my neighborhood in Willow, you know, the Willow community is, is, is amazing. Of course, there's so many mushers over there and it's a small town and it's such a nice uh, community with full of amazing people. And they just, you know, collected some money in the neighborhood and they just brought me a little envelope with some money. I, I, I was just speechless. I really didn't know what, what to say. So within two days I had everything and I just, you know, I was supposed to fly home on the 15th of April, but then I realized it was maybe uh, a good idea to fly home earlier because I didn't know what was going to happen if things were going to shut down totally. So, so I booked it for the for the 8th of April, and and that happened, you know. And uh, I came home, but again, I cannot stress enough how how amazing it felt to have all this support and all these amazing people just sending money and helping me out. That. Uh, I'm speechless and I will be thankful for life. I I can definitely tell you that. So I feel like we need a map, like some <laughs> kind of a digital representation of your travel. Uh, I don't know if we can make that happen, but have you seen Indiana yeah, Jones when they have the map yeah. and they have like a little plane line that yeah. goes to each place? Um, so you're you're a gnome. You fly to Willow, get things together. You fly to to Switzerland. You take a train to the Italian border, yep. and then you walk. Oh, it was not too bad. Far? It was just you know, the station is quite close to the border, so it's just a few hundred meters. So it was not too. But again, I was carrying about okay. uh, between one hundred and eighty and two hundred pounds of stuff on my back. So that was, <laughs> it was so funny. I posted this picture on Facebook, and somebody. Somebody commented, it's like, I just hope your uh, arms go back to their normal length because I was carrying the huge bags on my, both my arms. So that was, that was quite funny. I did see that picture and maybe we can find it and share it or people can hop onto your page. And, and I saw you had a backpack on the back, right? And the end in front and two or so ba giant yeah, bags Yeah, basically I had 50 pounds on my back. 50 in each arm and 35 in front. So that was, uh, I, I looked like a big, you know, like criminal, like just, just got done robbing a bank. I had also my mask, of course, in front of me. So in front of my mouth. So I, I looked like the perfect criminal. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, let's, uh, wow. That it's quite a story. I mean, really the, not just even the Iditarod part, you know, it's an interesting thing that, an interesting time in your life that you will remember no. for the Why rest we? of your life and tell your Oh, I, sh I sure will. I sure will remember uh, 2020 or my whole life. I can <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Well, thanks for talking uh, with us here on the Tales from the Trail podcast. Um, is there, how can people find you? Do you have a a website, a mushing website, or a musher Facebook oh, page? Oh, I'm actually how, how quite, quite bad that? at that. I only have my Facebook profile. <laughs> it's my name, so and I'm probably the only guy with my name and some sled dogs in, the, in his you know, profile picture or something. And I have an Instagram account, which is uh, my name with no dots, just Fabio Berlusconi. So if people want to see... Again, I'm 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 quite lazy at that. I should post more, and a lot of people are asking me, "Oh, we want to see more pictures." So I I promise I will put I I will try to be 
happy about that. I'll, I'll, I'll do my best, I promise. Okay, well, I'll have, we'll have people jump over to your Instagram account, and, and I know a lot of uh, other mushers post, you know, their training times and, and pictures from uh, their travels and whatnot. So, but thank you again uh, thank you. for it's talking with us. Thank you. It's been my amazing pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank All right. Thanks, Fabio. Talking with us.